There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Story time. In April 2003, my... A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Unit was part of the Iraq invasion. 
We were slowly moving north to Baghdad for about a week in HMMWVS, and had set up a perimeter for the night at some random spot in the desert. Our normal devil-may-care attitudes were oddly replaced with anxiousness. There was nothing but sandstorms and wild dogs howling all night. I had a surreal sense of time having frozen, and we we just walking around with the world on pause. We were on edge all night, and I slept maybe 20 minutes. We kept seeing movement in the distance, but our command had insisted we were clear. Eventually the night turned back to day, and we packed up and drove away through a road littered with corpses we hadn't seen due to the dark and sandstorm. I wasn't serving, but my father is an officer in the Navy, has been for a long time. We were stationed in a naval base in Maine. Our house on the naval base was the second oldest, built at the very start of the 1-800s. Among some other creepy shit, there were two instances that actually scared me so bad, I still remember them very vividly. And I was only 10 or 11 then. I was usually getting up around 5.30 to get ready for school bus came very early so it was always pitch black out. The house itself was basically a mansion, huge with five floors counting the basement. My room was on the second floor, and when you walked out you could see all the way up a staircase next to it to the top floor. All the way at the back of this top floor was a bathroom. One morning I got out and swear to God, I saw the ghost of a woman in a large Victorian-style dress standing in the bathroom just staring at me. I skipped breakfast, and just waited it out at the bus stop for the next 20 minutes, despite it being below freezing. It was worth it. When leaving the house in a panic I couldn't look back, felt very strongly it was watching me from that bathroom window on the top floor. The other incident was honestly even worse. I was on the first floor in the kitchen eating breakfast. The back door to the house was in a small room behind the kitchen, I sat with my back to it. Normally I was too tired in the morning to be scared, but one morning as I finished my breakfast, I heard the back door fly open, and a very loud gust of wind blow into the house. The door had a distinct sound, I knew what it was and I never even looked back. My head was buzzing which had never happened since as I ran upstairs to my parents' bedroom, woke up my mom, and was delirious with panic. She told me I was being over-imaginative, and told me to go get dressed and head off to school. I usually used the back door to leave, so mustering up the courage to go back was difficult to say the least. The door was shut, but I swear the room felt very cold compared to the rest of the house, as if the door had been recently opened this was the middle of winter like the previous story. I made peace with whatever was going on there later, but that's a different story. I heard the tenants who lived there after we moved away never had any experiences like that. But I think I either put the spirits away for good, or, more likely, Nobody wants to talk about it, because whenever I bring it up I sound like a paranoid F. As a Navy SEAL, I've been on countless missions in the darkest corners of the world, tasked with eradicating threats that lurk in the shadows. This particular mission however, 
etched a chilling memory into the core of my being, forever altering my perception of reality. Our orders were straightforward. Infiltrate and destroy a drug cartel's base nestled deep in the heart of the Colombian jungle. Little did we know that beneath the cloak of the cartel's criminal activities, an ancient evil lay dormant, waiting to be uncovered. As we stealthily made our way through the dense foliage, we noticed peculiar symbols and statues surrounding the perimeter of the supposed drug trafficking base. Grim reapers, adorned in various colors, stood as macabre sentinels, warning us that we were dealing with more than just a criminal enterprise. The air was thick with an ominous energy, and a feeling of unease settled over our team. Pushing deeper into the compound, we stumbled upon a hidden laboratory, and it became apparent that this was no ordinary drug cartel. Strange rituals were evident, and it was clear that a cult, steeped in the worship of an ancient evil, was operating within these walls. Our mission had just taken an unexpected turn into the realm of the supernatural. We wasted no time in purging the base, engaging in intense firefights with well-trained mercenaries and seizing caches of illicit drugs. The eerie statues seemed to watch our every move, their hollow eyes following our progression through the compound. Amid the chaos, the unexpected occurred. One of our team members, hardened and battle-tested, was ambushed by a creature straight from the depths of nightmares. With red eyes glowing in the darkness, the humanoid creature moved with an unnatural grace. It appeared from nearby woods and pounced on our comrade, sinking its teeth into his ear, before swiftly disappearing into the woods. We immediately called for a medic, the urgency in our voices reflecting the gravity of the situation. The wounded soldier was pale and shaken, blood oozing from the bizarre wound on his ear. The medic, a seasoned professional accustomed to patching up battle wounds, furrowed his brow in confusion. Examining the bite, he declared it unlike anything he had encountered. No human or animal, he deduced, could produce such a wound. A shiver ran down my spine as I considered the implications. The encounter with the mysterious creature lingered in our minds, a haunting reminder that the line between the physical and the supernatural was perilously thin. Second-hand knowledge of modern-day sailors staying at the original Navy barracks that were strafed during the Pearl Harbor attack. One sailor ran out of toilet paper in the otherwise unknockabied bathroom, and a roll was thrown to him over the top of the stall from unknown hands. I also heard of another sailor that was on watch, and he went missing for over an hour. He blacked out, and when he woke up laying on the carpet. Everything around him was drenched, but he was dry. He didn't remember anything. Maybe some Navy guys from Hawaii can substantiate this, but I have heard the barracks are spooky. I worked in a lab in a military hospital. A relatively old military hospital. When I started working there all my co-workers military and civilian would tell me stories of odd and paranormal happenings in said lab. Usually it was that typical doors shutting, lights flickering, odd noises type of thing. While I never really believed in all that, 
Plus it seemed like a hazing thing so I just smiled and carried on. Well fast forward about a year, I'm fully trained on all the sections and am assigned to the night shift. Essentially I work all one in the lab from 15 one. I'm completely alone. For the first months it's completely normal. Well all of the sudden at about the 6 month mark wired stuff starts happening. The lights, noises etc. But nothing that I couldn't really say was for sure unexplainable. Well after a week of weirdness, I'm sitting a desk in the center of core lab, just looking at some paperwork during a lull. I hear what sounds like footsteps, and the door opening to what sounds like micro, it's on the other side of the lab, maybe 10 meters away, but there are shelves and stuff in the way of direct sight. At that point I assume it's cleaning maintenance, or possibly a coworker who came back. So I get up to check just because I'm curious. I walk over to get a line of sight, and I see the back of a tall man in a white lab coat walk into micro. This at the time wasn't super weird, but still odd since I didn't recognize him, at least from behind. So I go in there to see who it is. Micro was empty, completely empty. I saw him go in, and there isn't another exit or entrance. At this point I'm a little freaked out, but managed to work the rest of my shift with loosing it. I mean I know what I saw, but maybe I was just tired or something I don't know. Well next day I mention it to some co-workers. They seem just as terrified as I should be. They then proceed to explain how Micro's supervisor husband had died many years ago, and that there's a rumor that he still hangs around. Micro's supervisor is this really really old lady who has been there a very long time. At this point several things start to make sense and freak me out even more. The person I saw was wearing a white lab coat. We all wear blue lab coats, the lab used to wear white lab coats in the ADS. This man was really tall, apparently the supervisor dead husband was really tall. He or it whatever was walking into micro. Seriously, I'm still freaking out about it now. I still can't explain it. I was stationed on an aircraft carrier, and living on board made me convinced that it was haunted. In particular, I had a friend that was a corpsman medic for all the non-navy types. It was around 21, and I decided to pay him a visit in the sick bay, because he was on duty. I went away I normally didn't. It was basically the back door. As I was walking around to go to the front office where he was, I happened to glance at the ceiling and I saw what I could only describe as a shadow on the ceiling. It crawled at a high rate of speed, and the next thing I know it shot into the surgical area. I ran like a bat out of hell to the front office. When I told my friend, he at once knew what I was talking about. Apparently, it was a very known occurrence. I'll try my best to recall this story that just popped into my memory randomly. This would have been in the late 90s in Connecticut. Maybe about 1998. I was a teenager, and some of my friends had started getting driver's licenses, so we did what any teen in the 90s did, drive around with our friends looking for something to do in a small town. There were about five of us in a friend's car, 
I wasn't driving, I was on the passenger side in the back seat. We were riding around, listening to music, talking, no substances were used. We were on a wooded windy road at night, suddenly the driver slammed on her brakes, and we watched as this creature crossed in front of us. Illuminated by the headlights, the creature was about toddler height, very very pale, no clothing, bald, very slender. It paused briefly to look at us, I remember we all got dead silent. It passed the road quickly and went into the woods. It walked on two legs. It was most certainly not an animal I'd ever seen, especially since it was bipedal, and it definitely wasn't a little kid. The only thing I can't recall is its face, I did see the creature, but from my seat in the car my view was slightly obstructed. We were all silent for a few moments, processing what we'd seen. I remember another passenger whispered, dude what the f, we continued on in silence with the occasional, did you see that thing? We kept the radio off at that point, and the driver started bringing us all to our homes. We were so creeped out we didn't feel like having fun anymore. One of our friends nicknamed it El Chalupa Lol so occasionally we'd bring it up. I've lost touch with all of them at this point I'm in my 40s now, but we never did find out what we saw. This was before most of us had even home computers, let alone a cell phone or Google. Any ideas? For starters, I grew up in southwest Saskatchewan, and moved on to my aunt's farm in 2019 to live in the other house that is on their property. The house is fairly old, but I loved it. It wasn't long after I moved in though that I started to feel uneasy in the house alone. I would close every window when it got dark, as it felt like something was watching me through them every night. Eventually, I decided to get a puppy to keep myself company when my boyfriend at the time was at work or away from the house. It helped to have the company, but I always dreaded having to take her outside when it was dark. For a bit of scene setting, our house sat on the left side of the gravel road. At the back of the house, there was about 10 meters of backyard, and then there was the cow pasture and the cow barn. We didn't own cows, but in the summer another farmer would rent our pasture space, and so we would have them on the property. It wasn't uncommon at night to hear coyotes surround the farm either. And there were tons. Every so often when I'd go out with my puppy, we'd hear them all around us, too close for comfort. We had a farm dog too, who would keep the coyotes away for the most part as she was huge. But every so often she'd wander elsewhere on the property to scout, and the coyotes would get a little too close for comfort. They always tried to lure my puppy out to them, but luckily I kept her leashed. Now, one thing you should know about my pup is that it takes her forever to find a spot to go potty. This is still a problem today, four years later, but back then it was the bane of my existence. She would pace for at least five minutes, and that was only after finding a suitable spot. Sometimes we would be out there for damn near a half hour, just so she would go and not go in the house, another problem of hers. Huskies, am I right? On this particular night, it was raining pretty heavily. I was not happy to be out there, and she had decided that she wasn't gonna go until she found her perfect spot. 
We had already been out for 15 minutes, and at this point she was also getting frustrated with the rain and wanted to go inside. But I wanted her to go before we went in, since we'd already been out there for so long. So, as any annoyed puppy mother would do, I started getting a little frustrated, and would repeat, go go potty, every time she'd get distracted from her objective. It was dark, I was cold and annoyed, and to make matters worse the cows behind us were fussing fairly loudly. This was out of the ordinary for them, they were usually quiet and sleeping at this time of night. I was also hearing what sounded like a strange bird whistling, but shook it off as probably being an owl. I tried to keep it off my mind as I kept shouting and pleading, go, through the rain to my small fuzzy white asshole. I was facing away from the pasture, and suddenly in my left ear I heard it. Go. Now, one thing you should know about me is, I have a very strong flight response typically, but this froze me on the spot, as I was mostly confused at WTF I'd just heard. I tried telling myself I didn't hear it. I tried telling myself that it was just a move from a cow that I heard wrong. But again, as if spoken directly behind me, I heard it again. Go. Go. It sounded unnatural. It was as if it came from someone who had never spoken a word before. A raspy, deep, monotone go. It almost sounded like it was coming out of an old radio, but of course there were no radios out there. Every time it said it, it sounded the exact same as the first time it was said. And whatever it was had started repeating it, as if it had been taught its new favorite word. At this point I spun around to the pasture to find nothing there. Then, again from behind me, go. This had all happened in the span of about three seconds, and at this point I remember shouting out loud, All right, don't have to tell me twice, as I picked up my little furball and made a mad dash for my front door. I swiftly locked both doors behind me and sat bewildered in my kitchen. Puppy went back to puppying immediately, obviously unbothered by it all and happy mum wasn't making her stay out in the rain any longer. I picked up my phone and called my aunt, asking her if my uncle had been out in the field with the cows. She said no, and I explained to her what had just happened to me. She sent my uncle over to the pasture to check it out but soon after told me he hadn't seen or heard anything. He said he'd check the pasture again in the morning. I spent my night hiding from the windows, with the lights and TV on loud enough to not hear anything outside. The next morning when my uncle checked on the pasture, he found two calves dead. Explains the colossal cow panic that had ensued the night before. I regret this, but I didn't push for more information as I honestly just didn't want to know. But they told me other than that they didn't find anything out of the ordinary. A few months later I moved off the farm. I couldn't be in that house alone anymore, and my boyfriend and I had parted ways. A few months after that, I started going to therapy for the paranoia this had caused me. I started feeling like people were watching me, out to get me. Another few months after that, I moved out of the province for good, and finally felt safe. I'm wondering if any of you here have any idea what the hell this would have been. 
There's no chance there would have been someone in our field, as we were fairly far away from town and neighbors, and we have cameras that would have seen anyone enter our property. Coyotes are common, but I don't think they are capable of mimicking words lol. Any ideas? Now, since moving I've had some weird related things happen as well, but can save it for another time if wanted. This is my father's story. He was a tank commander in Israel during the Yom Kippur War, which was disastrous during the first days for Israel. Throughout the war, he survived the destruction of seven tanks where he was the sole or one of two survivors, he was the guy looking out the hatch, when the tank got shelled, he'd be first out the hole. Anyways, during the last tank he survived, he was hospitalized and had an out-of-body experience. White lights, peacefulness, and then a loud voice telling him to go back, and that it wasn't his time. Afterwards, his spirit, went to my grandmother and told her he would be okay. She woke up, called my mother, and said that he had been injured, but would be okay. A few hours later, they got a call from the hospital confirming that he was injured but stable. My grandmother just passed away a few weeks ago, and my dad is really struggling, but I like to think that their connection was so strong that he warned her not to worry. Long ago was a terrifying night, I had the most chilling experience of my life. I was 15 years old, living in a small, quiet town where everyone knew each other. It was a peaceful place, or so I thought until that unforgettable night. My parents were away for the weekend, leaving me in the care of my older sister Emma. She was 16 and loved the idea of being in charge. That night, we decided to watch a movie. Halfway through, there was a knock at the door. Emma paused the movie, we thought it was just a neighbor or a friend. But when she opened the door, there was no one there. We shrugged it off and went back to watch our movie. We weren't bothered because we thought it was just some of the other kids playing pranks. Later that night, I woke up to a weird tapping sound on my window. I was a bit scared because of the dark but I mustered the courage to peek through the blinds. There, in the dim moonlight, I saw someone or something in all black standing in our backyard, just staring at the house. My heart raced. I ran to Emma's room and woke her up. When we both looked again, the figure was gone. The next day, we told our parents about the incident, but they said it was probably just a lost traveler or a neighbor's guest. But I couldn't shake off the feeling that something wasn't right. The following night, the tapping returned, more persistent this time. It sounded like someone was intentionally trying to scare us. I told Emma and she called our parents, but there was no answer. We were alone and scared. Emma decided to call the police, but as soon as she picked up the phone, the tapping stopped. We felt relieved but still uneasy. We tried to sleep but a sudden loud bang from downstairs jolted us awake. Emma grabbed the flashlight, and we tiptoed downstairs. The living room was a mess books from the shelves were thrown onto the floor, and the couch cushions were scattered. Then we heard a whisper, a faint, eerie voice coming from the kitchen. 
It was singing a slow, haunting tune. Emma signaled for us to sneak back upstairs, but as we turned, the kitchen light flicked on by itself. We bolted upstairs, locked ourselves in my room, and pushed my dresser against the door. We huddled together, listening as footsteps started coming up the stairs, slow and heavy. They stopped right outside my room. The doorknob rattled gently, then more violently. We were trembling, holding each other tightly. The house went silent for a moment, then a voice, soft and raspy, spoke from the other side of the door. I know you're in there, kids. We didn't respond. Then, the sound of footsteps receded. We stayed awake the whole night. We were so scared to breathe. In the morning, our parents came back and found us asleep in my room, the dresser still blocking the door. We explained everything, and they called the police. The officers found no signs of forced entry, but they did find footprints outside beneath my window and around the house. After that incident, my parents installed security cameras and an alarm system. The police patrols in our area increased. But the scariest part was that they never caught the person who stalked and terrified us that night. Sometimes, when I'm alone, I hear a faint tapping, and I freeze, wondering if it's just my imagination, or if my stalker has returned. This happened in 2005. I got a job in Florida working construction. My day ended around 4.30 p.m., and I was heading home towards Tamiami Trail through the Everglades doing about 35 miles per hour, and could see the intersection about half a mile ahead. I looked up and noticed three black unmarked helicopters flying low overhead, about a one-quarter mile ahead. One of the helicopters turned towards me and I could see a red light start blinking on its nose. That's when the glitch happened. No more than a second later, I found myself heading towards the rear end of a vehicle stopped at the intersection. My foot was still on the gas, so I had to quickly slam both feet on the brake and hit the car going full on. I explained this to the cops, but they just looked at me weirdly and gave me a ticket. The only explanation I can come up with is that the universe reset and put me half a mile ahead of where I should have been. There have been other glitches since, but I'll get to them another time. Thanks for reading, every word is true. Got lost trying to find this trailhead in Montana. We lost GPS, which is always expected in the mountains. So, we were working off screenshots of the directions, but the lack of road signs made them useless. Moreover, I think we were already on the wrong road due to a lag in the GP's signal, but we didn't realize it before it was lost completely. Anyway, we found a trail that we hoped was the one we were looking for and started hiking. The trail got more and more sparse very quickly, and there ended up being flooding, making the creek impassable. We both kind of had the creeps, at least I did. The woods were so quiet. We turned around after 5-10 minutes, sure we were on the wrong trail anyway. Then, we nearly ran into a severed turkey leg, hanging nearly in the middle of the beginning of the trail. I don't know how we would have missed it coming in. 
There were no cars parked at the pullout but ours, and we didn't hear anyone drive by. It gave me the creeps because I didn't think we would miss something like that, but also, why would someone do that? It amused my partner at the time who took a picture with it, in a way that made it look like his hand. In North Cascades NP, I did an earlier solo hike. There was a small lot with one other car, and I never saw any other hiker on the trail, though I kept expecting to at some point. I didn't realize the trail I was hiking wasn't a popular one, so I saw no one. After about halfway, when the woods went quiet except for the trees creaking, I had the feeling like someone was watching me. I should have turned around but didn't. I was almost at the lake when I saw a bear den, and then realized the marked up trail and routes earlier were likely from a bear, not any trail maintenance or a hiker. I made it to the lake at the end, but couldn't enjoy it because I still felt like I was being watched. It really creeped me out that I had made it to the end of the trail without seeing the owner of the car at the trailhead. There were no connecting trails that I was aware of or saw. The woods were still quiet, except for some small snapping branches or some small rocks falling across the lake, which added to my discomfort. On the way back, I saw a trail cam, assumed it was the NPS camera, perhaps for the bear activity I saw. I never saw anyone on the trail, except within the last quarter mile or less, I could hear the road. I about jumped out of my skin when I saw a group of three ladies, I couldn't hear them over the creaking trees at the beginning of the trail. Since then, on other solo hikes, I turn around when I get a creepy feeling I can't shake, or I go over an hour or two without seeing anyone on trails that are new to me and home to bears or mountain lions. In July 2004, Ricky Joyce, and I embarked on a hunting trip into a remote area of Breckenridge County, Kentucky. Ricky's grandparents' cabin served as our base camp, nestled at the foot of a hundred acres of dense timber. On the first morning, trouble struck when one of Ricky's dogs failed to respond to our calls. We discovered her lifeless in a ditch, her head grotesquely twisted. Puzzled by the unnatural demise, I remarked. There's no animal up here that can grab an animal by its chin, and the back of its head and twist it, you know, no coyote can do it, there's no bear, as far as I know up here. Strange noises, growls and screams had been echoing from the mountain's summit, prompting us to investigate. Equipped with our four-wheelers, we ascended to the hilltop to search for what might have claimed the dog's life. We decided we're gonna hop on the four-wheelers and stake out the hilltop. We ended up going to the far side of the property where nobody really goes. There are no trails. We make a couple laps around the field that way we can both easily see where the four-wheeler has been so we know where to look, I recalled. Despite spending a significant portion of the day searching, we found no traces of the mysterious assailant and eventually retreated back to the camper. As the night unfolded, strange occurrences intensified. Unsettling noises surrounded us, and at around 5 a.m., the dogs began barking furiously before fleeing. Our trailer was suddenly bombarded by an unseen force. It literally sounded like all hell was breaking loose. 
It's almost like you can hear something pressing up against the side, and you can kind of hear the tent start to bend. Just that weird, eerie metal sound, I described. Abruptly, the assault ceased, and an eerie silence ensued. Armed and apprehensive, we ventured out on our four-wheelers to uncover the source of the disturbance. Our search led us through the day and into the evening, crossing a cemetery and an open field. It was there, just after dusk, that we confronted the inexplicable. Ricky, spotting at first, recounted, I'd seen something standing in the field, and at first, I thought it was a tree. It was tall but also kind of hunched over a little bit. It was big. It was white. My own observations aligned. Its arms were long, but they were kind of out like this, and they had these long talons. It was too big to be a person. When it was on two legs, it stood at least nine feet tall. I mean, it was massive. When it noticed us, it let out this just ungodly gut-curling growl. It came straight at us. We opened fire in self-defense, hastily retreating to Ricky's grandparents' cabin. Uncertain if our shots had landed, we never saw the creature again that evening. I've been in some pretty scary situations, but most situations you know what you're dealing with. On that one I didn't, so I didn't know how to react. That's quite possibly the scariest moment in my life, Ricky reflected. It made me believe the unbelievable. I didn't believe in myths. I didn't believe in wives' tales, none of that until I saw that, and after that changed my life forever. I mean there are things out there, and we don't know what they are. Our quest for the mysterious creature continues to this day. Our story was even reenacted for an episode of Travel Channels, Monsters and Mysteries in America, featuring interviews with my aunt, Stacy. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. T. Morgan, my uncle, Wayman Morgan, and a Breckenridge County resident, Susan No, who also recounted a chilling encounter with a sheep-like creature. 
Call me Jay. It's not my real name as I still do not have the guts to say my actual name yet. Today is the day I'm going to share my story. My first experience was way back in 1983. I was 14 and was on a youth group weekend camp in the Perthshire area of Scotland. The group is going to play a team war game called the A Wide Game Two Teams, each given a bucket to hide and protect and each team member is given a piece of colored wool as a life with the object to find and take their bucket back to your own. And if you take the other player's life, the piece of wool, then go back to the leaders of the youth group and get another piece of wool i.e another life and rejoin the game. The winner is the team with the most opposition lives and possibly their bucket the game lasts for a couple of hours. This particular game was to take place at night so each player should be carrying a torch. A torch so North Americans know, it's a flashlight. Before dark I set out up to the tree line in some rhododendron bushes. As I neared the trees and bushes, I'm sure I saw someone watching me. But at that point, I wasn't scared. I thought maybe a deer. As I grew closer, I realized it wasn't a deer, but something that resembled an Ewok from Star Wars. Only the eyes and mouth were visible. Again, I didn't feel scared. In fact, I felt more intrigued. I said, hello and I felt in my head, this Ewok-like thing said, hello in my head, and I saw a small arm reach out and point to my head. I was about a couple of feet away from the dense trees and rhododendron bushes, and could only still see eyes, mouth, and arm. This creature's arm and hand were just about to touch my forehead, and then all of a sudden, I started to feel scared. The fear was rushing in waves and all of a sudden, from behind this creature, another one arrived much much larger than the other. In my head, all I could hear was, don't you dare, don't you dare. And then I saw the eyes of the larger being turn red and in her. I say her, as the feeling was this was this juvenile's mother. I wanted to scream but nothing came out. I was about a third of a mile from the campsite, and about 40 other folks from ages 12 to adulthood. I couldn't move. I couldn't do anything. I could see my fellow campers who were getting themselves ready to play the wide game as it was still daylight moving into dusk. The next thing I know is a number of the older campers saying my name and touching my back. I was lying on the ground. The wide game was over and it was dark around 11 p.m. After a count of players, I was missing and the group set out to search for me. It was an easy task as they found me because my torch was on and placed lying on the ground facing the camp, just about a foot in front of my head. The camp leaders thought I slipped fell and back smacked my head on a stone which lay near my head, and I dropped my torch, which was the way they found me. I was taken to the hospital, my parents called, and that was my weekend camping trip over. I can tell you, I never had my torch on. It was firmly in my trouser pocket. No need to use it as it was still light. What I think happened was the juvenile was so intrigued with me that they wanted to physically touch me, as I was intrigued with it. But the juvenile's mother was not happy with me, and its child, and the mama Sasquatch used some mind or body something to freeze me, slow down time, and my young body couldn't cope where I passed out. Being a mother, the Sasquatch took my torch out, 
and switched it on, as a way for the youth leaders to could find me in the dark. Now, 20 plus years later, and after 12 years in the military medic with the Royal Marine Commandos, I was in France helping my friends out at their stone farm cottage. On the third or fourth night, I decided to go for a walk in the woods which were at the back of her property. After about 20 minutes into my walk I froze. A voice in my head was, don't you dare. The fear within me was exactly the same fear I had when I was 14 years old. I've had lots of fear in my life and got over it, especially during my time with the military, but nothing like this. I don't know if it was the same Sasquatch or the juvenile grown-up, as it was in a different country, different location, but it was exactly the same voice, same tone in English, not French, with no accent, but it was the same voice. It must have been just a few seconds in time. I didn't see anything, only heard the voice. I think I said, no, not again. Not this time. And I backed away and walked back, the same way back, to my friend's home. I didn't say anything to my friend however, she noticed my anguish and said. I don't like these woods. She only goes into them during the daytime when it's bright outside, so I suspect she's had an experience. I do not know what happened to me following my first experience of seeing the juvenile, and the mama if I was lying there all the time or taken somewhere, and I also believe when I think about it that it was indeed the same Sasquatch I felt in France, which sounds impossible. I think that these Sasquatch can port to any place in the world. How do they do that? I have no idea. That's way above my understanding. Hiking the Superstition Mountains which already have creepy stories of their own. There were no other cars in the parking lot or dirt area. So I was just with my dog. The trail I was following got confusing, and I was lead to a fence where it just seemed to end. Sun started to set so I decided to turn around anyways. Really stupid of me to go hiking alone, and this late in the day. But when I turned around to walk away I heard something behind me so turned to look. Saw an older man with grey hair, a red button-up shirt and jeans, not really what you'd hike in or had no hat or backpack or anything on him walking toward the actual superstition mountain on the other side of the fence. I only saw his back and he never turned around. It was weird because he literally wasn't there one second and then the next he was and he wasn't walking on any type of trail or anything, just through straight desert. He didn't turn to look at me or anything, and since he looked so out of place, I got really scared so power walked back to the car. He was walking the opposite direction to where you get off the trail to park your car like going into the desert. There were still no other cars in the lot when I got to mine and it was pitch black out when I got to my car prob 20-30 minutes after seeing him. So what the hell was that guy doing? Everyone has told me I definitely saw a spirit out there, and that it's even weirder I didn't see his face. I wouldn't have probably noticed him if it wasn't for the red shirt he had on, because it stood out and caught my eye. Super weird. Haven't been back to that particular trail since it was one of the more remote areas of the mountains too. I know some of the trails are really popular, but this one you had to drive several miles off-roading to get to.
In the late 90s while very bored, my best friend, and I would drive all over the place. We went down a dirt road in the Pine Barrens in New Jersey. We drove for about 10 minutes, then saw a small trail. It was unmarked but very clear cut. So we hopped out and started walking. We weren't far at all when we started seeing those old spiral telephone cords in a bunch of different colors hanging from trees like decorations on both sides of the trail. We thought that was neat looking even if odd. The pine barrens are always odd. Then we saw old doll heads and stuffed animal heads nailed on trees. We were both nervous laughing but walked a little further where we saw a freshly killed deer with its head very cleanly cut off, and its body sliced open so its innards spilled into the path. We all of a sudden got extremely spooked and ran back to my car as fast as we could. I was never so happy to get out of the woods as I was that day. My parents, back in 1969-1970, were on Interstate 10 heading east to Gulf Shores, Mississippi. While driving, around 10 p.m., this bright light attached to one giant, highly polished bronze vehicle, began descending from the sky in front of them, which caused my father to slam his brakes on his truck, so he'd not run into it. They saw this large vehicle cover both lanes of that interstate. The giant medium between the westbound lane covering the east lane on that westbound lane would have made this vehicle's width over 100 feet across. Mother was shaking. Being Christian, she never ever thought she'd see such a non-human hands-made vehicle. Dad would say, not one sound came from that vehicle as it hovered in the air never touching the earth. The bright light dimmed and they'd seen people in every window as we'd see people in jet aircraft when watching jets come and go at airports, mother said. These beings looked human yet they shone as a sun would shine, not as bright but angelic-like beings. They were afraid of what would happen next. Dad's truck had died the moment they saw this vehicle. As they watched, beings walked inside the large windows. Next. They saw this craft slowly lift upwards to a high 2300 up. And in a blink of their eyes, this vehicle flew off on their right side, and they leaned forward to see how high it was going at a breakneck speed. Next, they noticed this large beam of light came from another triple, the size larger highly polished bronze vehicle. It attached its beam to the one which hovered over them, and it seemed to have sucked this giant vehicle into itself. It closed its giant door and disappeared in front of their eyes. That's how fast that mothership had sped away. They were relieved when dad's truck began, and they drove the next few miles to Gulf Shores not speaking. Not until dad had unloaded his seafood to the restaurant, which had been waiting for my father my parents had owned a seafood shed in Louisiana west of New Orleans where he'd buy these seafood from local fishermen as his workers picked the blue crab meat, other workers tenderloin the fishes which came into his factory. I'd been their bookkeeper for their business. Mother was upset with my father for leaving so late into the evening hours. But, these restaurant owners wanted their supplies so early morning workers and 4am cooks could prepare the seafood for lunch and dinner hours. Normally my brother and friend worked for my dad and delivered the prepared seafood, 
But one was ill so dad knew he'd have to do the delivery. So hence, they were on the road to see an out of this world ship. My parent both lived well into their 90s. They never seemed to have been affected by the incident. Literally a random rickety ass flight of stairs in the middle of the swamp back home in Florida. We came across it on a hiking trip. We just thought it was odd and kept walking, assuming maybe there used to be a trailer there or something. Years later, I came across an article talking about why you never climb random stairs in the woods, and I went down the rabbit hole reading up on it. It was odd at the time, downright terrifying after I read up on it. I'm thankful to this day that we never went up closer to them or tried to climb them. Top my head, two things both found at the Red River Campground in Adams, Tennessee. If you're familiar with the Bell Witch, her cave is nearby. I was around 13 or 14 years old. The first night, my mom and I were walking to the bathrooms when I tripped over a cane just laying there in the middle of the grass. The next day, we went canoeing. We had pulled our canoes ashore, and were taking a paddle break, when I saw something sticking out from a tree. Upon closer inspection, there was a dead raccoon sticking out from a hole in the tree. I mean head down in the hole, tail in the air. This was super close to the infamous cave. My brother and I got back in our canoes real quick. Super super creepy. I had always dreamed of attending Coachella, the grand music festival that promised an unforgettable experience. However, with tickets often being exorbitantly expensive, I began to explore alternative avenues. This led me down a path that, in hindsight, I should have avoided. It was the start of a strange and unnerving adventure. One day, while browsing various online platforms for Coachella tickets, I stumbled upon an enticing offer. A guy, who went by the name of Max, was selling a ticket for a price significantly lower than the ones on official websites. My curiosity got the better of me, and I reached out to him. Max responded promptly, seemingly eager to make the sale. He provided me with an address where we could meet, claiming it was a convenient spot for both of us. The catch was that this place was an hour's drive away, but the cost savings made it seem worthwhile. I agreed to meet him, and we set the date for the exchange. The day arrived, and I found myself driving toward an unfamiliar part of town. The address Max had given me led me to a somewhat desolate area. As I neared my destination, I realized I was in for an unusual experience. The meeting spot was an unlit alley, sandwiched between a dilapidated warehouse, an abandoned motel with shattered windows, and a railroad with rows of rundown train cars. The place felt eerie, like something out of a horror movie. The area was completely deserted, and an unsettling silence hung in the air. I parked my car hesitantly and texted Max, informing him of my arrival. As I waited, I began to question my decision. What was I thinking, meeting a stranger in this eerie place for a ticket to a music festival? Time seemed to slow down, 
and I grew increasingly uneasy. I peered into the dark corners of the alley, my imagination running wild with all sorts of horrifying scenarios. Finally, a text came in, and I read, I'll be there in a minute. I sat in my car, nerves on edge, clutching my phone. Minutes turned to what felt like hours. And then, just as I was about to give up and leave, I saw a shadowy figure approaching from the dimly lit end of the alley, Max. As he drew nearer, I couldn't help but notice something was off about him. His movements were stiff, and his face was obscured by a hood. Every instinct in my body screamed at me to drive away, to leave this place, and forget about the ticket. I didn't need any further convincing. Without a word, I started my car, made a hasty U-turn, and sped out of that dreadful alley, my heart racing. The unease I felt during those moments was unparalleled. I couldn't help but wonder what had almost transpired. I later discovered that my instincts had served me well. I might have been desperate to attend Coachella, but I was unwilling to jeopardize my safety for it. In the end, the ordeal served as a stark reminder that not all offers are worth entertaining, and that sometimes, our gut feelings should not be ignored. This is kind of a horror story. I was moving out of my apartment and put my couch up for sale on Craigslist. My roommate had already moved out and I was nervous about being alone and letting strangers come over to see the couch. There had just been some Craigslist killings in the news, so I hid easily accessible but hidden kitchen knives around the apartment in case I encountered some stranger danger. The people looking at the couch were perfectly nice, and of course I promptly forgot about the knives and went about my day. I left the apartment and ran some errands all afternoon. Whoops. My landlord decided to bring new tenants to show the apartment, and they were very confused or freaked out when they found large knives in several of the rooms. One in the bathtub, one on the foot of the bed etc. Landlord was not happy. I sold a stroller and car seat combo. Woman shows up, takes a look at it, calls her husband to ask about some cosmetic work it needs, and if he could fix it. They agree to purchase it, and she hangs up with him. She hands me the cash, I showed her how to collapse it, and got it into her car for her, and she leaves. Ten minutes later she shows back up outside my apartment building, I had met her in front of the building, she didn't know my apartment number or anything demanding, I give her her money back because she changed her mind. Then her husband or boyfriend starts texting or calling me telling me to do the right thing and refund her money. I blocked the number and didn't respond. This happened a few years ago, but it still bugs me to this day. I had just graduated high school, and as a broke soon-to-be college student, I needed some extra cash, so I took to selling all of my prom dresses on Craigslist. I received a call from someone who took interest in one of my dresses so of course I answered the phone. Hello, I was calling about the blue dress you posted on Craigslist. 
I was a little surprised at the fact that it was a raspy man's voice saying this, but I didn't think much of it. I told him the size, and the price, nothing crazy. He said that he and his mother were going on a cruise soon, and that they needed fancy cocktail attire for an event on the cruise, which isn't uncommon. So he was calling about the dress for his mother. Then he started asking questions, which at first I wasn't too concerned with, because if I were buying something that pricey, I would too. Here is a list of the questions he asked in order, and then my responses. Him. What size is the dress? Me. It's an 8 but fits more like a 6. Him. How does it fit? Up top. Me. Um. Normally. I bought it my size so I mean it fits me like it's supposed to. Him. What size bra do you wear? Me. I'm sorry but that isn't relevant. At this point, I couldn't tell if he was genuinely still trying to figure out for his mother or not, and just wasn't good at talking, or if he was just a major creep. I soon get my answer though. Him. Well I was just wondering. For my mom, you know. Me. Yeah well your mom should know what size dress she wears before she shops for them. Him. Is it a tight dress? Was it tight on you? Can I see pictures of you in it? Me. Can't even form a sentence before he continues on. Him. And what about panties? Would my mother be able to wear panties? Ha ha, if you even wear any with it. I would imagine you didn't. Your voice is so seductive and slutty. Are you a slut? Creepy laughter. At this point I was so appalled, I couldn't even get words out of my mouth. Everything he said came so fast. I quickly told him he was disgusting, and to never call me again. I deleted and blocked that number, and deleted my post about the dress, and my Craigslist account in general. This is entirely too late to the party, but, while I was in grad school, we needed a third roommate. We posted looking for one on Craigslist, and lo and behold we meet Craig. Craig seems like a nice enough guy, friendly, conversational, maybe a little weird, but affable enough. So Craig moves in, and we discover that he is on disability, I try not to pry as long as his checks clear for rent and utilities. Turns out, Craig has severe mental health issues. Now these issues themselves aren't actually a problem, as his medication does a good job. What the medication doesn't do well is mix with alcohol. Especially all the alcohol that Craig liked to drink. Within two months he'd been kicked out of three of the bars in town small college town for falling asleep or creepy behavior towards women. Plus just having very off-putting behavior at home also. We never formally put him on the lease, so we are talking about asking him to either cut that shit down or leave. Fast forward to January, record low temperatures, and the coldest night in about 30 years for the region. Craig decides he's going to go to the bar, in the middle of a pseudo blizzard. It was both the holiday break, and about 20 degrees below zero, so all the bars were closed he would make these decisions at 11 p.m after I had gone to bed. Three days later we finally realize that Craig is missing kept a weird schedule, 
and I was just relieved to not have to deal with him, didn't want to look a gift horse in the mouth. Well Craig couldn't get into any of the bars in town they were closed and got disoriented in the snow on the way back. He was found the next morning with his eyes frozen open in someone's yard, eventually losing all of his fingers and toes to frostbite, but lucky to be alive. The summer after high school graduation, I'm drinking at my friend's house with our gay guy friend. Me and the girl begin to pass out after a night of drinking. Our gay friend starts taking pictures of us basically sleeping on a couch together, and posts them to Craigslist looking for someone to come over for a foursome. Our gay friend eventually wakes us up around 3am in a panic, letting us know this guy took the bait and is about to crawl in the basement window. Me and my friend start freaking out, and explain we are in no way down for any part of this situation. This guy turns out to be a registered massage therapist, and actually pretty down to earth. We find out he just went through a really bad breakup, and just wanted some company. We ended up watching the strangers while he did an analysis of our spines, and massaged the trouble areas in our back. So my mom is into sewing machines, like older ones. Well she finds one on Craigslist. She calls and wants me to go with her to pick it up. I'm 36 and live about 30 minutes away from her. It's my mom, and she says she has a weird feeling about it so I agree. We go to the shopping center, she is supposed to meet the woman selling the machine. We sit for a little while, waiting on the seller. Texts between her and mom go back and forth, and finally a car pulls up next to us. I'm in the passenger seat of mom's car. This car that pulls up has a dude in the driver's seat. He gets out, and is watching me the whole time. He opens the back door of his car, and I see the sewing machine box. Mom is freaking out a little, where she is she can't see the sewing machine. So I tell her to wait in the car. I get out and see a lady walking around the back of the car, she smiles and asks if I am here about the sewing machine. I laugh and say yeah my mom is and turn around to tell mom to get out and look at it, the guy asks if I got drug along to make sure it went right. I tell him yes that is exactly why I am there. He tells me his mom drug him for the same reason. The ladies hit it off and talk about sewing machines for 20 minutes. The son and I watched hoping the entire time they would stop. Until I saw the lady it was creepy, then it got worse. I never thought my Olympic dream would almost shatter over a casual encounter, but that's exactly what happened. The road to Rio was not a straightforward one for me. And it all started just a day before the Canadian Championships and Rio Selection Trials in Edmonton. My name is Sean Barber, a Canadian pole vaulter with aspirations of Olympic glory. The pressure of the upcoming competition was immense, and I needed a way to blow off some steam and relieve the stress that had been building up. So, I did something I'd never done before I turned to Craigslist in search of a casual encounter with someone who was, drug-free and disease-free. Little did I know, 
This decision would almost turn into a nightmare. I met a woman online, and we agreed to meet up at a hotel. She assured me she was clean, and I took her word for it. Little did I know what she was hiding. As our evening unfolded, she began snorting cocaine, even doing it in the bathroom without my knowledge. We shared a few kisses throughout the evening, and as far as I could tell, everything was ordinary. We had a sexual encounter lasting about 30 minutes, and then I went on to compete at the championships the next day, determined to secure my spot at the Rio Games. I gave it my all and set a championships record, securing my spot at the Olympics. I was on top of the world, until the shocking revelation that followed. After the event, I underwent drug testing, and to my disbelief, the results came back positive for cocaine. It felt like a punch to the gut, and I couldn't understand how this could have happened. I was standing at the edge of losing everything I had worked for my entire life. The subsequent days were a blur of uncertainty, anxiety, and a desperate fight to prove my innocence. I was cleared to compete in Rio just two days before the games were set to begin. A panel eventually concluded that it was more likely than not that I had ingested cocaine unknowingly from kissing the woman. I had no way of knowing, and no reason to suspect, that she had ingested cocaine before our encounter. My Olympic dream was given a second chance, and I was determined not to let it slip away. In the end, it was a lesson learned the hard way that sometimes, even a seemingly innocent encounter can come with unexpected consequences. I had just gotten out of high school, and I was cleaning out my closet. I decided to post an ad on Craigslist. The title, Teen Girl Clothes for Sale. I received a few creepy messages but nothing too scary. Plus I needed the money so I waited a few days for a serious buyer. That's when Annie emails me. Her message said something along the lines of, Hey, can you meet in the Walmart parking lot? I'd like to buy all of your clothes today. I was so eager to sell them, but I didn't want to go to a parking lot alone. So I asked my mom to come with me, and she agrees. I let Annie know that I can meet anytime between 5 and 7. That's when she asks for my phone number, and I gave it to her. Back then I gave my number to anyone who asked, don't do that. So I'm texting this girl trying to arrange a time to meet, when she tells me that she has to wait for her mom to get home from work, so she can drive her to Walmart. I'm immediately relieved because I'm thinking, okay great, she's bringing her mom, I'm bringing mine, we're meeting in public, all is good. All was not good. We agreed to meet up at 6.30 at the far right side of the parking lot. I was excited to get rid of all these clothes and get some money too. We head to the side of Walmart, park and wait. I text her and let her know that we're there waiting, and the first red flag to leave should have been her reply. Are you alone? What kind of car are you driving? I tell her and I also let her know I'm with my mom. No response. At this point it's getting dark, and I'm looking around the parking lot to see if I can find her. That's when I spot him. A young man not much older than me, 
In a white Nissan parked on the aisle before us with his window halfway down, staring directly at us. So I asked my mom. Do you see that guy? Why is he staring? How much longer should we wait for Annie? She casually glances in his direction. Up until this point we had both been on our phones, not paying too much attention to anyone around us. I have since learned about the term situational awareness. Pay attention to your surroundings people. I figured she would text me when she was almost there, but she hadn't so I called her. No answer. Then the man in the aisle over rolls his window all the way down, still staring and starts to blow bubbles. Like actual bubbles. I can see him holding the container, gently blowing these bubbles in our direction. He pauses and smiles but not a warm smile, a sinister one. My mom and I take one look at each other, and I start the car. We begin to put the pieces together when we realize that this grown man in front of us is probably Annie. Not only does he have my phone number, but now he knows my car's license plate number. I'm trying not to freak out. He sees us pulling out of the parking spot, and he gets out of his car and stares us down, while we haul ass out of there. I was praying he wouldn't follow us. And he didn't. I guess seeing me with my mom threw him off. He thought I would be alone, and I'm so grateful I wasn't. I blocked the number, and never got another message from Annie. Needless to say, I didn't end up selling my clothes that day, and I haven't been on Craigslist since.